Welcome to the Alternative Property Management Podcast, brought to you by Renty and the PMC. A conversation between passionate property management specialists and guests leading up to the PMC conference on the 14th and 15th of November. Hosted by David Faulkner, Harrison Vaughn, and Will Alexander, and powered by Renty, who just want to make renting enjoyable. Hi everybody, Kiara, and welcome to the very, very first interview show that we've got. This is called the Alternative Property Management Show, coming to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I am your host, David Faulkner, um, from formerly from Real IQ, now with Property Brokers and from the PMC. I've also got joining us on the show, uh, Harrison Vaughan. Harrison Vaughan is the most overrated property management expert in the country, coming out of Tommy's out of Wellington, and the guru of data, the man himself, the CEO of Renty. If Lance Armstrong and Alan Turrig were to have a child, they would have created Will Alexander. Great for you guys to join us on the first of these shows. How are we doing, first of all? Well, you got me right, and uh, you got Harrison right. I reckon he's a bit overrated as well. So, oh, I think that's I think that's a bit rough. I think I'm I'm rated accurately. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing very well, very well, and great to be here, and uh, great to have a chat with you guys and talk about things all property management. It's good. Yep, no, it's great good. to be on the be on the first episode, kicking it off. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, Harry, I actually think you are the Padawan if we're looking at the Star Wars type of theme. And I am the Jedi Master, so just remember that. Okay, I, so I will hurt you a lot when I say I'm not a Star Wars fan, and that reference just flew straight over my head. Oh, dear, dear, right. dear. That's disgraceful. Anyway, anyway, so what this show is about, we're not here. Uh, and first of all, we've got to say we've got Renty have decided to sponsor um this podcast which is absolutely fantastic this podcast is going to lead up to the pmc 2022 which is taking place on the 14th and 15th of november at tapapa in wellington so we're going to talk things all things property management every week up until the conference and hopefully uh we'll we'll continue if it's popular enough we'll continue it into the new year and into 2023. This show is not about how to grow your rent roll. This is not about how to be compliant and whether you need to put a price on a for rent sign or whether we should do meth testing. We are going to look at just general topics of what is going on in the industry. And every week, we're just going to have a little bit of a discussion about them and um, you know, and, and just see where the conversation goes. Uh, it's going to be great for you guys. You can listen to it when you're out doing an inspection. So if you're like Will Alexander in the morning, out running 30 kilometers just for a warm up before breakfast. And the first topic which we'll um, throw at today is, well, we saw in the news and Harrison, you were actually involved in this because uh, you were contacted by uh, the uh, Quinovic who had yes. this, this, this Wellington Tenancy Advocate Group decided that they were going to march through the streets of Wellington, uh, basically walking down the high street, shouting, eat shit, Quinovic. Now, I can only imagine what would happen if property management companies walked down the street shouting, eat shit, tenant groups. Uh, You can imagine the backlash that we would get. But, you know, first of all, the question that we got today, are tenant advocate groups, are they a hindrance? Do they actually do any good? Or, Or are they just an absolute hindrance on the industry uh, or on renters in general. 
And um, because, I mean, some of the, we can have a look at some of the things that they were suggesting. Um, but, Addison, how did, it, how did you hear about this was going to happen? And, and, and tell us what happened, mate. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, protests, especially tenant protest groups in, in New Wellington, um, they've always been quite prevalent. And so I got a phone call out of the blue uh, from the Quinovic owners. And the Quinovic office just happens to be across the road from us. And they rang quite concerned about what they'd seen in the media and were pretty much just giving us a heads up because they, you know, it was expected that there were going to be a couple hundred people uh, marching down Cuba Street and then up to the Quinovic office. Um, but sort of long story short, the the protest by the by the tenants was a bit of a flop, in my opinion. I believe that only about 20 or 30 people showed up. And they actually went to a Quinovic office that has been closed for about two years. That closed just before the pandemic, but it's still got its sign out the front. So they went down to an old closed office while the active one here um, on Vivian Street, no one was outside. Right. So um, I think I think the group that we had here in Wellington were a little bit misinformed with, with potentially where they were going. And they seemed a bit disorganised. Um, a few of my staff did a, a cheeky walk down Cuba Street, um, you know, by the bucket fountain. We heard that that was where it was kicking off. Um, so a few of them went out on a bit of a spy mission to see what we could see. Um, and you know we could we could hear the eat shit Quinovic that was coming out, but you know there was only twenty or thirty of them in a small group. It wasn't quite the group that that the the media had sort of portrayed was going to be there. So was this just a big um, hype over nothing? Because I mean they got quite a fair bit of media attention on this. Yeah, sounds out of perspective to me. Oh God, I I. Um... Jesus, Quinovic brand in um, Wellington. I um, I feel sorry for them. God, they've been uh, in the crosshairs for a long time. I think um, it's pretty tough. I mean, you know, the the answer your question. Um, I mean, obviously, there's always two sides to the story, and this stuff really it depends on the journalist and how hard they try uh, to talk to everyone involved. Often, you don't think I don't. It doesn't appear as though they are doing thorough research um i think it's good that they have a voice yeah um i mean you know that it's that's healthy um i definitely i mean what you've just described and what i've seen and heard and all that sort of stuff it definitely feels divisive and a lot of the stories that gain traction um in the media is it's an us and them viewpoint mm. which tends to propagate further angst um so i don't know how beneficial it is i just find i mean the world in general at the moment especially in new zealand feels incredibly divisive but um in anything like that seems to get traction um i think there is a place for these groups um i think that you know i've had dealings with them over the years and they represent the little guys you know i had a, a couple of battles with them with them in palmy david and and um you know although uh you know, I mean, I, I guess the crux of the matter is they're trying to represent someone that couldn't represent themselves. So, to me, that that has merit. Well, I'll tell you my um, this is my opinion. So, I went down when I was doing the whole real IQ business. I actually got a, a little bit involved and went along to a couple of meetings of Renters United. And I, well, I actually 100% agree with everything that you say here. There is room for them. But what I found on attending a couple of the meetings, I went to the, the fixed renting launch, as much as anything, just out of observation. 
And also just to see, look, you know, you've got to engage with these groups. And you're right. You, you can't just have an us and them, yeah. which is – and Facebook kind of yeah. has that a lot. And you, you, you could go onto these yeah. um, property investor Facebook groups and you see how opinionated some people are on that. But what I found with the likes of Renters United when I went along, they seem to get hijacked by a small element of people who kind of use it to voice the political opinions rather than actually looking at how can we actually make life better for renters. They just seem to have this mm. thing. So, not all of them, because there's some very good people in there. And even mm. in, in some of the things that these guys have asked for, some of the, 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 the requests aren't beyond... Oh, ridiculous, aren't they? You know, I mean, but, yeah... They, they, they what seem was to it by demands, a small, David? The 10 demands. Well, let's have a look at them and, and let's, let's critique them. them let's critique them one by one. All rent yeah. prices, this is probably the most extreme. All rent prices permanently lowered to 25% of the lowest benefit. Now, are they talking about every single rental property in the country? They only have to pay rent of 25% of benefits? Oh. That would bring it below. That would bring it well below a hundred dollars per week. I, I think. Um, I mean, this stuff lacks perspective and is incredibly one-sided. I mean, and this is the whole divisive thing: is um, you know, think about the amount of costs that landlords have incurred since smoke alarms in two thousand and fifteen mm. came out, through to not being able to claim interest and in, in the tax changes there. I mean. It's it it lacks perspective, um, yeah. you know. That, that's that, that's the most obvious thing with that first thing is is um, people don't make there's there's not a net yield. You know, the cash flow is often negative um, yeah. right across the country, and the only thing that they get is uh, capital gains. You know, and, and yeah. they run at a loss for years. Well, well, so you're not going to get well, you're not you're not going to get capital gains. If your rents are fixed at twenty five percent of the lowest benefit, because who's going to want to own a property? You've got to be better yeah. off renting for life and putting the yeah, money yeah, yeah. In, in something else. I mean, so yeah. so that's just that's not just going to work. Like, let's have a look at number two. Uh -huh. Okay, landlord must provide evidence that addressing repairs, including accessibility issues, within one week of being notified by the tenants. Well, let's go to you first, Ed, on that one. What do you think of that? Well, I think um, the some of the legislation that came out in the amendments around the 21 days, you know, a request for fibre or, or uh, whatever, you know, that responding within 21 days, acknowledging it with 21 days, I think um, that was reasonable. Maintenance is different, obviously. Um, it depends on the circumstance. Um, what level of maintenance is it? How urgent is it? Um, you know. I mean, any good property manager will jump on it far quicker than seven days if it's yeah. serious. I mean, if it's, you know, um, the, the fridge isn't cooling properly or, you know, something a little bit non-urgent, uh, then, yeah. I mean, my response to that is, you know, that's what the 14-day breach for, isn't it? If someone's not yeah. enacting maintenance, exactly. you, yeah. you, you issue a breach. So there's legislation in place already to protect tenants for that. Um, yeah. Right. Mechanisms I mean, in place now are good. I think it that, that solves that answer. They've just got to be more 
uh, informed and more aware of their rights and what to do in certain circumstances. All the tools are there. Yeah. And okay, I think please. too, also, yeah, oh, I was just going to touch on that too, Dave, if I'm allowed to. Um, I was just going to say too, tenants do seem to be unaware around the logistics of maintenance and buying buying stuff to repair your house. You can't just walk down to the shop and get what you need and come back and fix it straight away. You might have to order a particular part that needs to come from overseas or you need to get something that needs to be made by hand and there's a three or four week wait time. So there's a lot of those sort of logistics as well that until you own a house or you are a landlord, you don't realize. I mean, I, I bought my first home, you know, last year and it wasn't until I lived in there and started looking at the cost of running the house that you realize, wow, this is actually quite expensive and things don't happen quickly. No, and I, I think a lot of it is around tenants, you know, they do need to sort of open their eyes a little bit around that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I won't ask you how many hundreds of thousands your properties dropped in value by Harry because it'll make your eyes water. Tenants, oh, number three, right. number three. Let's go number three. Addison, I'll go to yep. you. Come on, Padawan, stay with me. Um, substandard, so what, tenants in substandard housing must be appropriately relocated at landlord's expense during major repairs. Well, uh, I guess my question would be, what do they mean by substandard housing? Is this stuff that is actually illegal? Is this Are these properties that shouldn't be rented in the first place? If that's the case, the tenancy sh shouldn't even exist and the tenant should know this and should be breaching their landlord and should be, should be asking for their tenancy to be broken. I don't think it should be the landlord's responsibility to relocate them during the major repairs and renovations because that usually means the house is being drastically altered. Yep. You're not renting out the same product. It could be going from a three-bedroom to a four-bedroom where you could be adding a sleep-out out the back. So you're not going to be able to just throw the same people back in and charge the same rent. It's going to be potentially substantially higher and yeah. out of their affordability. Yeah, I mean, yeah, things I can think... Yeah, sorry, the things I can think of here that could be an issue could be around, you know, asbestos. And if you've got, you know, you get an asbestos removal, then... You know, my understanding on law is that the tenants keep paying the rent and then the landlord's got to find them adequate accommodation. Then, so I think there's Dave, a is, is, a house with, is a house with asbestos deemed substandard? In my eyes, it's not. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Heaps of houses no, no, in New no, Zealand no, have yes, asbestos. It's if there's damage to the if there's damage which is, could be a, a health issue around asbestos. Sorry, yeah. Will. Yeah, yeah. The, um, we had an um, issue in Waipak. And in uh, exactly this, it was de de determined that the uh, asbestos or the ACM uh, was really hazardous. And um, in that instance, the uh, the, how the tenants were relocated while it was remedied. And, and, you know, that was it. The insurance was in place, that sort of stuff. So, like I said before, the mechanisms are in place. I mean, if you're doing a major renovation, you've got the 90 days where you um, provide the tenants. You know, if they want to, they're great tenants and they want to re-rent it once the renovation is done, you know, um, for sure. Um, I think, um, yeah, it, again, it's ambiguous and I think the mechanisms are in place for, for that already. Okay, I mean, what shocks me, that is that you only had one issue in Waipuk. I have bloody plenty of issues in Waipuk. Anyway, <laughs> on to the next one. This this one, I'm interested to get your feedback on this one because I actually, I think with a little bit of tweaking on certain things, this could work. Minimum length mm -hmm. of a tenancy, all right, five years, and the tenant may exit at will. I don't know if it's just like they can just pack up and go. What's your thoughts yeah, on this one? 
All right, I'll tell you what I think. Let let me tell you what I think first, all right? Now, when this interest deductibility um, crap came out from the government uh, a couple of years ago, my response, and I actually wrote a piece on this, and I think I even submitted stuff on it, basically said landlords should be able to offset the interest against rent if they commit to a long-term tenancy of, say, five to seven years. Right, because 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 the landlord is not there. Because remember what Grant Robinson said: the speculators. Well, if you've got a property for a long term, say five to ten years, you're not speculating. You're there yep. for the long haul, so you should be able to offset your interest. So I would say I'm actually fine with this, so long as the landlord can offset the interest against the rental income. Right, but the tenants still have to give 28 days notice. Uh, it's a it's a great solution. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's inevitable, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Generation rent, the tenancy is going to get longer and longer. We've already got plenty of data that shows yeah. that, and we're going to become so sorry um, more like Europe. But I guess it puts more um, emphasis on getting the right tenant at the outset. And the Privacy Act changes have made that very difficult. And, you know, I, I think there's merit. I, I love the idea that you just suggested. I think that if you're going to enter into longer term tenancies, then you've just got to be able to do the checks to make sure that um, they are who they are and, and, yeah. and, and we're all good to go. Um, I mean, it's inevitable. Um, you know, I, I think um, you'd probably be surprised. I, I think why um, why why a rapper, the average tenancy there was approaching three years. Um, um, so you know, it's probably already happening. At the data that I get from our rent roll, Will, and this is all over the place, and then look at the MBIE stats on bond and rental data. It, it's now three years is the average length where I can see more or less yeah. in, in most regions, particularly provincial New Zealand, it's average length of tenancy is, is, is three years. Um, Padawan, what so do you do think? Put, what? Do, we need, do we need to put rules around this? If it's happening um, naturally, well, yeah. that's a good thing. It's happening by itself. Why do we need to put more rules around this stuff? If, yeah. you, if it's a good symbiotic relationship, then these things are great. They work really, really well. And um, I, I just like I just don't think more rules are needed. And I I, I just think when a tenancy works well, it's great. You know, and it just yeah. it, and, and it works for everyone. Um yeah. Okay. Okay. Addison, what do you reckon, mate? Yeah, um I don't know. I mean, minimum length five years. I've spoken to a few people I know sort of around my age that are still rent in the rental market. And I mean, everyone that I know would never sign a five-year lease. They say it's too much of a commitment for them. They don't know where they're going to be in five years from now. And I, I think that's, especially in the younger generation here, what, what, what we see here in New Zealand is most renters tend to be under the age of probably 35. But it and gives, it's those but it, people that tend to be transient, right? They tend yeah, to move gives, around. They're not staying in one place. It's most of them are planning an OE. Yeah, it's giving them flexibility, though. It's like they can still, they sign the lease, and they, they know that they can't lose that tenancy. They've got the property for a minimum of five years, Right, so yeah. it doesn't make a difference how. Long I still, I think is. it would be more popular with the families and stuff. But I wouldn't yeah. personally. I wouldn't sign a five-year lease. You'd even even if you could just and... even if you could just give notice, you could go whenever you want. Well, I don't think tenants will be able to give notice at will. That that just wouldn't work. There'd have to be a three-month, a nine, a thirty-day 
minimum notice period. If they're signing a five-year lease, I'd imagine it would at least be one two months' notice, surely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a fair compromise. And, and, and the, the, these, I mean, if you think about a commercial lease, um, you know, those are often really long, five plus five, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, with the amendments, the, the um, assignment of the tenancy is in place now, so if they need to bail, those tools are in place. Um, so I, I think we just need to get a little bit more creative with what we've got. I, I honestly don't think we need more rules. We've got... We've okay, got, mm -hmm. okay. Yep, yep, sweet. Well, okay. I think okay. what we have actually works if we use it correctly. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, let's go. Let's go on to five. This is this is an absolutely you know mind blowing idea. Oh, this is a disaster. This one. This one. This one is a disaster. I mean, a permanent end to evictions during cold weather months, May to September, holiday periods, and emergencies such as a natural natural disasters or pandemics. So my understanding on that. So if I fall into rent arrears, um, let's say April, okay. And yep. you go to you get your tenancy tribunal application, and it appears on the first of May. You go into tenancy tribunal. I cannot. That tenant doesn't have to pay a cent of rent, and I cannot evict them until September. Absolutely not. Sounds crazy. What is more crazy is that someone actually spent time to sit down and write that. Yeah. Part of me wonders, is it sort of a flow on from when we used to have the 90-day no-cause eviction sort of thing? Because, yeah, I just, don't really, I just don't really get that one because you're only evicting someone now if you've got a valid reason. Yeah. yeah. So to me, 0. 0.5 shouldn't, shouldn't really be there. I mean, obviously, if you could still just kick people out at the drop of a hat... Yep. Then I, I can see I can see that being a little bit more realistic, but yeah. I mean, just imagine COVID, the number of owners that would have been overseas and unable to return to their own home had this clause been in place. Oh no, they, they, they've got they've got another one. They've got another one down here further down at number ten, but we'll come to that oh, in a moment. Gosh. All right, number six is interesting. Okay, abolish yeah. all abolish bond and all substitutes. Hand back all bond. From landlord to tenant, regardless of contract, costs of repairing any damages will be covered by existing rent payments. So, if the tenant damages the property, that the rent covers it. Wow. So, what would happen? That's, what would happen there? Crazy, the, isn't it? So, the obvious thing that would happen there, which these guys obviously, and I'm surprised they haven't put rent controls into this, but what would obviously happen there is every tenant would end up having a fifty to one hundred dollar a week rent increase to yep. offset the risk. Yeah. Look, I think a bond is a great thing. It's a it's a commitment from both um, parties to. Um, you know, to to have, to um, conduct their tenancies well on both sides, and um, it's fair. You know, um, things change when you got a bit of money on the on the line, and um, I think it's healthy. I think I think it creates accountability, and and you are in someone else's property and asset. You don't know the circumstances behind that ownership. It could be a dream that mum and dad have saved up for, for years to do. They're trying to get up the property ladder. They're trying to create an estate that they can pass on to their kids. You know, um, put yourself in their shoes. Well, they don't, do they? They don't. That's, that, that's part of the problem. 
you know, I mean, no. they, they, oh, I, I, think, I think they kind of wish Karl Marx wrote the Residential Tenancies Act, part, part of me does, but anyway, go on, Addy. Mm. I was going to say, I, part of me agrees with the whole abolish bond, as in like the current form of it. I think the way that it operates now is very antiquated and outdated. I think there could probably be a lot better option around some sort of tenant insurance package yeah. um, or something along the lines that we see overseas. So I kind of agree with getting rid of bonds or changing the bond system, but there has to be some form of security deposit, whether that is in a lump sum or through the use of insurance. Well, um, no way can it be covered with the existing rent no. payments. The rent payments are for servicing the mortgage, covering the running costs of the property, mm. not for your repair bill at the end of the tenancy. Yeah. And I mean, if you, your tenant's goal should be to not damage the house. I mean, so, I mean, having the bond there, it's like a reward system. If they look after the house and it's really well presented to you at the end, they get it all back. I mean, if they like, haven't, it, you it, take it, some yeah, of it. Yeah, it starts off pretty, you know, abolish bond, but there should be a substitute. I'm with you, Ari. I like the um, tenant deposit yeah. scheme that they have in the UK where it's like a an insurance rather than you pay a bond instead mm. as an option. I mean, that could work. I mean, one thing about these, at least it does create discussion. Right, here's... All right, mm. pets in all flats, including dogs. That's number seven. Well, the body body corporate rules for starters. That, that yeah, you know, yeah. there are there are just general rules that you can't get around, and um, um, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, uh, kids I've got young kids; they're bloody rough on our house yeah. i've just had to repaint it after four years and um you Jeez, know so you have got rough kids Jeez. yeah yeah you've had too many visits to white you've had too many visits to white park that's what it is because you live in hogs bay don't you <laughs> yeah i um yeah i think um uh yeah i mean look at the end of the day you're, you're wanting people to create a home right and and you know anything that um um helps to create a, a home and with a happy and, and everything is good, then, you know, I, I think it's worth considering. I, I just, again, no more rules. I mean, just have a good conversation and, and, and figure it out. I mean, so that just, just seems to be asking too much, though. Um, I'm personally a fan of pets. Like at Tommy's here in Wellington, we do push pets a lot and we always tell owners to accept pets if they can. We've seen we've seen kids, as you say, will cause a lot more damage than pets. Yep. But I think you know the the renters group is a little bit uninformed. They're thinking it's the landlord that has the final say. Um, just recently, I tried almost begging a body corporate to allow a lovely family into an apartment with a small chihuahua, um, and they just would not allow it in, even though there were other pets in the building. So. Sometimes, you know, we as property managers and landlords are really pushing for this stuff and there's other barriers in the way that we can't control. All right. The, the, what I got from that what I got from that conversation was don't rent to Will Alexander because he's got to trash your house. Um, you know, so there you yeah. go. Right. Yep. Pet, Good point. Pet, pets in all flats. One of the things that we've just actually done a bit of a survey in our latest uh, property brokers newsletter, and we're gonna that's gonna be emailed out tomorrow, but re, and we asked about pets in rentals. Uh, and I did a, an article on it saying that what should happen is, and this is what they've just passed in the UK, and I like this. I do like it. Yeah, body corporate, I get the fact that body corporate will overpower, but a tenant should have be, be able to have the right to ask for a pet, and the landlord must have a valid reason to say no, but 
they can insist that the tenant has adequate insurance to cover the costs of any repairs or excessive damage Risk. caused Good. by yeah. the pet. And I, and I think that's the way to go forward with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, here we go. No entering the, this is number eight, no entering the property uninvited at all. Flat inspections abolished. Will, so, let's go to you first. Well, I totally agree with um, uh, not turning up uninvited. That's um, very reasonable and uh, there are pretty clear rules in place that already, um, um, you know, cover that. But, um, uh what was the second part to that? Is it no no inspections? The banning inspections. You can you basically can't see your property if you're a yeah, landlord. Well, that's cra that's crazy. I mean, um, uh, it's insurance that's driving that. It's not it's not necessarily us. I mean, most insurance policies now require you know four inspections per year, um, and that's you, you know you know if you want to take on the insurance game, good luck. So it is what it is. I, I have to say though. Um, going through a property four times per year as a property manager does feel a little bit intrusive mm, yeah. um, you know it is the frequency is a lot and yeah. i think there are great tools and technology now where you know the the tenant can do the inspection uh through a, a, an app you know the property manager can watch it at the same time and all that sort of stuff i mean there there's technology there now that could probably help with and, that. And, and, and yeah. the benefit of that, Will, is that it also reduces the carbon footprint. You, you haven't got an extra mm. car driving yeah. around yeah. All, all the time. On, and, and you're right. I mean, I think this is where insurance companies do have to step up, in my opinion, because if I've got a tenant who's been in that house for four or five years and I'm going through that every three months and I know the house is absolutely yeah. fine, can't we start mm. to tailor an insurance product on the credibility of a tenant rather than having an insurance yes, yeah. policy that treats every yeah. tenant as if there's some meth manufacturing axe wielding maniac or they've got kids who are like will alexander's yeah yeah, yeah. i mean um in most instances you know that is what we what we deal with right i mean the the tenants are great they look after the property you're going through going i don't know why i'm doing this i'm doing this because the insurance policy requires it that's what we've committed to do for the owner but it does feel crazy, um, and it could it could back off big time. Okay, okay, all right. Well, this one you're out of business here, mate. If this one comes into uh, place, number nine, landlords yeah. cannot ask prospective tenants for credit checks, employment history, Gosh. or any other references. Will this is an attack on renty? They want to put you out of business. They want to put yes. you on the dole and you're not going to find a house because your tenants are so destructive you're going to be on the street mate what 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 have you got to say for number nine well fortunately um we don't really derive any revenue from credit checks so um <coughs> would survive would survive um well look i guess uh, it's it's like anything you know if you if you're going to take a mortgage out or if you're going to buy a car or anything like that um it's common practice i mean you can't ever imagine buying a car and borrowing money to do that without having all these checks done. I mean, it's the world we live in. And, um, you know, you're you're renting out someone's major asset that's worth, you know, on average, probably around a million dollars. Um, it's fair and reasonable. Yeah. What are you trying to hide? Yeah, yeah. I've got data now um, looking at what oh. the average um, the, the credit checks are 
And the, no matter whether you're renting a $200 a week property or $1,000 a week, the credit ratings right across that um, spectrum are more or less exactly the same. They average about 600, just about 600, 620. So affordability is relative. It doesn't really matter if you can afford more or less or whatever. Um, to what we're seeing so, is the credit scores are about so, the same. So it doesn't matter what property you're applying for, the credit score is the same. Oh, it's it's it just is a more or less a straight line right across all those different rental bands. Oh, oh God, man, Mr. Data, he knows his stuff, doesn't he? That's that's yeah. fantastic stuff. All right, we'll we'll have to hurry up because we're coming up to the end of the show. Uh, I've been invited round to drink somewhere, and uh, as much as I love talking to you two, I'm actually getting a bit dehydrated. The final one: landlords must, uh, yeah, landlords must provide 365 days notice before selling or reoccupying the house. Ludicrous, Dave. Absolute well, ludicrous. Who knows a year out that they want the house back? I mean, well, apparently, first of all, technical um, technicality. The the scientists have found that the Earth is spinning faster, so um, they may find that it's three hundred and sixty four um, soon <laughs> and decreasing. So I think they're misinformed. And, um, and again, you know, just just need to do their research. It feels like this group of people are just out of touch with the economy and out of touch with with what with what being a landlord is really. Um, yeah, who knows? Three hundred and sixty-five days before they want to move into their house. So are we doing a are we doing a disservice by actually giving these guys her time? I mean, look, I actually, you know, I think we do need renters groups. Absolutely, we do. Yeah. We do, we do, but we need well-informed ones, David. And I think a key, a key indicator of this group was the fact that they marched to Quinovic and not to the Beehive. You yeah. know, Quinovic are not the people that set the rules. Us property managers are not the ones that set the rules. They should have gone and staked out like that group did on the lawn of the Beehive several months ago, and sat there and demanded change to tenancy law. They're the ones in power, and they're the ones that can do anything do anything about it and at the end of the day we're just property managers that that do our job and follow the law that we've we've been told to follow so so would tenants would, sorry will uh I'm just curious, would tenants be better served if there was a national renters united or a national tenant advocacy group rather than having all these little splinter groups left right and center or should it yeah. be a little bit more community-based what what's your thoughts I think I think a bigger national group, just in terms of the basic, I guess renters' rights. I think yeah. if they if they wanted to form a proper group at the moment, like you say, you've got twenty, thirty, whatever groups scattered geographically all throughout New Zealand, all pushing for different things. I mean, personally, I had never heard of Tenants Action before this event. I'd only ever heard of uh, Renters United, and yeah. I still don't really know a Renters United part of this group. Are they are they friends? Do they see eye to eye exactly? Or yeah. do they sort of see differently on topics like this? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's that That's starting to feel like a bit of a union to me, David, because, I mean, if you're talking about a national organisation, where are they going to get their funding from? And then all of a sudden, you know, that will probably come from some sort of contribution. Um, I don't know. I just, I mean, unions are effective, I guess, in terms of um, driving change on mass scale. But... I mean, I like the community feel. I think everything yeah. is um, 
you know, every, every uh, as you know, property brokers, I mean, everywhere is a little bit different. Uh, communities are different, very different from the major city centres. Um, I, I kind of like that approach. Um, I wonder, though, if the regulation of the industry is going to solve a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think it's certainly got a, it's certainly got to have a positive effect. I mean, Dave, it, just just out of curiosity, yeah. how do they do it? Is there anything like that over in the UK where you're from? I mean, do the renters do they have a Renters United or a national body that support tenanting rights? Yeah. Well, they do actually. Yeah, yeah, they do. And but I, I, I mean, when I was over there, Christ, I just lived in hotel accommodation because I worked in hotels. And I, and I never actually rented anywhere. It was the first place Sam ever rented when I moved to New Zealand. And um, But, yeah, there are. And what we'll do, we'll get um, our good old friend from the UK, Frank Webster, on for a conversation. He can tell us oh, what goes great on idea. over mm. there. Okay. All right. So we'll just finish off. Tenant advocate, advocate groups, are they a hindrance or are they a necessity? I think Ones they're... like this, a hindrance. Yeah, yeah I, th I think there's a place for them for sure, and I think uh, a well-organised group could be uh, really effective. Okay, all right, that's great. All right, and, and I'm I'm probably with yeah. Will there. I actually think a little bit more community-based. You got to get good ones. You got to get bad ones. And I think the bad ones, yeah. let's get a bit of a time like this. I don't think you'll they'll get any more hurt time because I don't think anyone will take them seriously. And you certainly won't get me talking about them no. uh, ever again. No. Well, anyway, that's it from the Alternative Property Management Show. Powered by Renty um, and also brought to you by the PMC, remembering that that's on the 14th and the 15th of November at Tapapa in Wellington. We'll probably invite the Wellington Tenant Advocate Groups to, to come along. And uh, this property yeah, management they, conference there will be. Yeah, so we'll see you, we'll see you there. Thanks to Will Alexander, the Alan Turing of Property Management, and thanks to Harrison Vaughan, the Anakin Skywalker of property management you know well, he please, starts yeah. out as being a good guy but you know that deep down he is a sith lord thanks for joining us and we'll see you again soon goodbye cheers thank you for tuning in to the alternative property management podcast powered by renty and the pmc